Normally, our observance of the Lord's Supper is after teaching as sort of response to teaching. And today I thought it would be good to have a response to the Lord's Supper. Take your Bibles, please, and look in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read from verse 18 and suggest a response to the Lord's Supper and to what the Lord's Supper represents. This is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 and would certainly be some of the highest altitude in the Bible. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors and birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know that what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now... He who searches the hearts knows the mind of the, what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. But we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, those He also called. Whom He called, those, these, He also justified. And whom He justified, these, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. And who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, amen. It's the Word, isn't it? He who spared not His own Son, but He delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? If, if He gave us His Son, there's no good thing that He's going to withhold from us in the process of conforming us into the image of His Son, and all things work together for good, good, bad, and ugly, work together for good, towards the purpose that He has, that you and I would be conformed to the image of His Son. 
pastor decides he's going to take a leave of absence from his church and go to Russia as a missionary. He just has a burden about Russia, so he's going to take a leave of absence. And he and his family are going to go to Russia for a while, and the church is for it. They say, we'll cover for you while you're gone. Go and raise the support that you need. And so the pastor then goes to the first church where he's going to present his ministry to Russia. And he presents his ministry there. And it's a wonderful time. And he's walking out of the church. He's out on the steps of the church. And he's, he's talking with people afterward. And he's not paying attention. His three-year-old son runs out into the road and he's hit by a car. And his boy dies. He was just crushed. God, why did you let this happen to me? I'm trying to go serve you. Why would you let such a terrible thing happen to me? Couldn't get the answer in his heart. He, he resigned himself. Well, there's something I guess we just can't know. But then a Christian leader heard about it and, and began to pray, God, give me give me wise counsel for this man. And as he prayed, he believed that God gave him wise counsel and he called the man on the phone and he said, I'm sorry to hear about what happened to your boy. And then he said to him, why do you think God let that happen? The pastor said, some things you just can't know. And I don't know if it's good to ask that question. And the leader said to him, no, it's probably a good thing to ask that question. I asked the Lord, and I think he might have given me an answer. And so the pastor said, well, why then do you think God might have let that happen? He said, you're going to the Russian people, and all of the Russian culture, and all the Russian history, and and Russian drama, and, and Russian music, and it's all it's all rooted in tragedy. The Russian people respond to tragedy. And when you go, God has prepared a message in your life and in your heart. When they realize that you actually, that your son actually died while you were preparing, it's a, it's a grief, a great tragedy. You will have their ear, you will have their heart. And then you can tell them of the one who sent his son to die for them. And they will listen. And they did. And this man went. And that was the message at the funeral. And that was the message that he went in Russia. And that was was the powerful message that God used to turn people to Christ. Just a celebrated communion. The, the, The symbolic reminder that God would not withhold anything from us. He's just that good. He's just that kind, just that loving. If that were not so, He would not have given His own Son. When someone loves you like that, the natural response is just to find a way to love them back. That's an easy way. That's That's one way to describe the Christian life. It's, Letting God love you and then loving Him back and letting Him love through you. I heard a pastor one time say, I think he had, a, I think it was maybe Charles Stanley, years ago he was preaching, and I think he said something like this. 
something like this. God's given us so much that we should devote everything to him. And then he had it alliterated, your time, your treasure, your talent, your testimony. That's pretty good, huh? Of course. Why wouldn't I give him my time? Why wouldn't I give him my talent? Why wouldn't I give him my treasure? Why wouldn't I talk about him? Of course. I have a practical suggestion for you as a church. This is a little church family talk here. I have a practical suggestion that of a way that you can express your thanksgiving to the Lord and your love for God. And it includes that whole matter of your time and your talent and your treasure and your testimony. We're coming up into the fall of the year now. And it's a beautiful time of the year in Michigan. It's a great time to live in Michigan. Wouldn't you agree? And I think we're looking forward to it, except for you like negative types that know winter's coming and that's all you can think about. And there's a bunch of you I know. But it's a beautiful time of the year and folks uh, obviously in this, this part of the country like to get away and they, they like to visit, they like to go up north, they like to recreate and, and there's something in us that longs for that and that's good. But then we kind of get back down to business when school starts and autumn comes, and I think it's time for our church to think outwardly and do something to reach people. Nothing would please the Lord more than extending His glory and His kingdom to other people. And, and what we're going to do as we, uh, as we go into the autumn, we're going to have a number of things. We're going to have a new website. And the website is going to have the e-invitation, so you can go on the web and click the e-invitation and put a friend's uh, email address in there, and you can send them an invitation to the services, and eventually we'll set it up sometime so you can invite them to a special event that we might have. That's just one little piece, and the, the web's going to be reworked with some new things on it, so that'll be a way that you can invite somebody. In the, in the fall of the year, we're also going to go from September and October, and we're going to challenge you to invite one person a week Every week, and we'll give you a little card. This will be a nice little invitation card. We're going to be continuing in our series about the stories and the teachings of Jesus Christ. What better thing do your loved ones and friends and neighbors need to hear about than who Jesus is? And you can train yourself to talk about this. Maybe you, maybe you can say to a friend, maybe you don't know for sure if Jesus is God, but you have to admit millions and millions of people in the world think that Jesus is God and that he's actually coming back. And if you're an informed and educated person, wouldn't you want to know what was it that Jesus taught and what are these claims of Jesus? And our pastor is talking about that every week from the book of Matthew, and he's giving all kinds of practical instruction for life. For instance, you might say to a person, have you ever wondered if Jesus is coming back? Our pastor is going to be speaking on that. That's going to be the Olivet Discourse when we get to chapter 24 there, 25 of Matthew. Is Jesus coming back? When is Jesus coming back? Are there signs of the times? What do these things mean? We'll be talking about all of that. So you can invite people to hear that. Practical things about their own life, their own hurts. You know how that is. As we work our way through the Bible and we just teach the Bible about Jesus, he is the locus of our affections. He's the only one that can make sense of our life. You can invite your friends and your neighbors and others, that got, and maybe even sometimes strangers that you meet along the way. A very practical thing, we'll give you a little card that we printed, and we're going to challenge every one of our members. We have 600 members. Um, probably, I'm pretty sure 600 people won't do this, but we have 600 members of Evangel, and our name is Good News. We, our goal is to have as many of those 600 members as will live up to their name of telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to give you this little practical idea. We'll give you those cards. We have some cards now. You can grab right away and start doing that. But we're going to print up some special cards that will point people toward the Matthew, the stories and the teachings of Jesus Christ series. 
so that they will come and they won't be coming for, you know, they won't be coming for other reasons. They'll be coming because you said, come and hear about Jesus and God will be at work in the lives of people and, um, and people who, who, whom God is at work in their lives and he's calling them to himself. Wonderful things will happen. You've seen some of our testimonies and baptism videos about people who've been simply invited here and then God was drawing them to himself and then over the months that they were here, they came to know the Lord and their whole lives are changed as a result of that. And that's what we want to be all about, helping people that way. So we're going to be giving you that practical thing. And throughout the, we'll be doing a few other little things I won't tell you about right now. But there'll just be special ways to challenge you about how you can specifically serve. My wife and I received an invitation from a couple here in the church to have dinner with them. It was delightful. I, and they said, we're, we've got a favorite restaurant. They kind of talked about that little Coney Island restaurant that they liked a lot. And you could tell it was like a favorite restaurant for them. And then I looked it up online. You know how you do. You don't go to the website of the restaurant, right? You go to a review site because all restaurants are wonderful if you're reading their site, right? I mean, that's like all churches are wonderful if you read their site. But that's, that's good if you want to get how do I get there, what time does it start. If you want information like that, you go to their website. But if you want to know if it's a really good restaurant, you go to the review site and you see what people said about it. Because a personal testimony is very powerful. Your personal testimony of what God has done for your life in this church and what God has done in your life through the the, the teaching of God's Word is a powerful testimony. And that will draw people under the sound of the Gospel. And that will help you see people's lives changed. And that's something that you can do. So we went to this restaurant, but the night before I looked it up on a review site to see, and you know, it was like large portions, reasonable prices, plenty of parking, waitress that is quick to fill up your water cup. I'm like, this is going to be good. And it was. And I am convinced with all of my heart that this place right here, places like it, is a place of profound, miraculous life change for people. I'm absolutely convinced of that. I'm absolutely convinced that just a common man that's called of God, that stands in the pulpit of God and teaches the Word of God, that God will change people's lives forever and ever. Their entire forever will be changed. I, I, I was speaking this week and thinking about how my mom got saved like 66 years ago and our whole family, this God swept through our whole family and changed people's lives. So this is VBS week. And there are probably little third grade girls out there that would just love to have some treats and have some stories and have some songs. And they don't know about Jesus. And when they hear about him, they could, their lives could be changed. And they could start a great heritage like what happened with my mom. And that's all going on. The Mission Awake's happening this week. And, and the young people, some very special uh, uh, arrangements have been made to do some dynamic ministry to young people. Some unusual, unique things are happening. Who knows what would happen? Just... There's something about invitation. I know a pastor whose church went from 200 to 1,400. So I ask him, tell me how you did that. That's kind of interesting. You know, tell me what you did. Well, there was a lot to it, but, but the main thing, you know what the main thing was, he would tell you? The main thing was just this simple. He taught his people, pray for people, invest in them, and invite them. Pray, invest, invite, he says. So you find people that you pray for, and then you love them. How hard is that, right? Just love them, do nice things to them. And then when you see there's a little opening there, just give them a gentle invitation. And that's powerful, because it's you saying it, not me. 
right? I'm the hired gun. You, on the other hand, are the satisfied customer. Make sense? I'm a satisfied customer too, by the way. Very satisfied customer. But they expect that from me. God gave his son, Jesus, who came down from heaven. Let's find something we can do for him. Let's give him what we have. Let's talk about him. Let's invite people to hear about him. That's a simple thing. Let's just do that. Well, I have so much in my heart to talk to you about today. I'm going to quit, but um, let's say just this, take two or three minutes here to just explain something that I'll go back and show you repeatedly in the scriptures. But just as I have a few minutes to show you this, why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2. Let me just show you something else about the local church that I want you to see. And and in the, in the Matthew passage that we were speaking, we've been speaking on, you notice that we got to the point where he said, don't offend little ones or people that are young in the faith. And if you do offend them, it'd be better to have a millstone hung about your neck. It's like really serious. This is Jesus preparing his disciples as the community of faith. The community of faith needs to behave this way toward itself and towards one another. Don't get a selfish agenda and by doing that offend someone because if you do, you answer to me. That's what Jesus is saying, right? And that text is saying that as you read down through the text, you realize that's what it's saying. The whole thing is one idea. In other words, the community of the redeemed is a really important place. It should be handled with, you know, very great care. And, and here's why. And here's a quick, super fast flyover of something that God showed me that I hadn't seen before, and it's profoundly biblical. It's not any kind of novelty. It's just something I've overlooked. And I'll just tell it to you, and then later on we're going to come back and we'll do a teaching, a long teaching about it, a longer teaching about it. But here, here's, the, here's the, the quick version of it. And what here I'm talking about here is, why is the local church really important? Why should it be a really big deal in your life? Why should you come to it and invite people to it and take it seriously? And when you worship, worship with awe and circumspection. And why, why should you see to it that there are no weeks that go by that you don't find an assembly of God's people and be a part of that? Because it is the place where God especially manifests His glory. So you go throughout the Bible, this is what you see. In the, in the, in the creation, you have, in the garden, you have the elements of temple there. Garden temple in the, in the garden. You have God his, showing his desire to show his glory, to walk among men, to live among men in the garden. And they have fellowship in the garden, and God shows his glory. And, and where that's harmed, God's intent then was that they would be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and they would, would fill the earth with his glory. This was the same true when he called Israel, and he gave them the instruction for the tabernacle. This is say, a place, he says, where I'm going to show my glory who I am. I'm going to express who I am. And that, by the way, is the thing that changes us and transforms us. So he does this in the tabernacle. Or in the tabernacle. And, and sure enough, the glory of God shows up in the tabernacle. And the people in obedience to the Lord are especially changed because you are changed when in your heart you behold who God is in His glory. And that was true in the temple. And remember all those uh, teachings about the temple when Solomon dedicates the temple and the glory of the Lord shows up? And remember the Ezekiel passage when the glory of the Lord departs? It's Ichabod. God wants to manifest Himself and show Himself. He did it in the garden, did it in the tabernacle, did it in the temple. The temple here is rebuilt in Jesus' time. You've got Herod's temple, but Jesus is kind of ambivalent about Herod's temple. He's not, they're not sure he's really excited about the temple. He says funny things like, that are funny to, to them, like, one greater than the temple is here. They ask him, are you going to pay your temple tax? How do you feel about the temple? And then he says things like, this temple is going to be torn down. In three days I'm going to raise it up. And then he cleanses the temple. He goes through and he starts turning over the money tables. And they have every right to think, what does Jesus think about the temple? He's trying to say to them, I am the temple. I am the temple. 
And the glory of God is manifested right now in me. And in the, if you read the end of your Bible in Revelation 21, what does it say? All of the eternal state in heaven is one big temple and the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Okay, so where does God show His glory now? In the dispensation of grace, in the age of the church, where is the temple now? Now here's the answer that you normally think. What is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure what you said because there's a lot of answers to that. Thank you. You probably said something like I am or, or, the, or my body. And I'm going to challenge you with something and, and, we're gonna, and, and then, we'll, then this is going to make you have more questions than you have answers, but I think that's good for you. And that's this. You answered the way I would have answered a while ago because I read my Bible with a special set of glasses and those glasses are called my individuality. I read, the, I read the Bible as, I tend to read the Bible as a book of personal piety. But the Bible, in particular, the epistles are not written like that. The epistles are written to, not primarily to individuals, right? But to what? To churches. Yeah. Collective groups, communities of faith. So over and over again, when you read about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you, when you read about God manifesting Himself in the New Testament church, you read all that Old Testament terminology about glory, all that Old Testament terminology about God manifesting His glory and dwelling among His people, and including the Old Testament terminology repeated over and over again and applied directly to the church of using the word temple. So is it true that the Holy Spirit lives in you and so in one sense you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yes. But there's a much truer thing, a much more frequently mentioned thing, and that is it is when God's people gather in obedient assembly that that is the New Testament time of the temple. That's the time when God especially manifests Himself. Is that like, puts a weight in church going that wasn't there before, right? In other words, the book, the, think about that. You're in the first century. You don't have a printed copy of the Bible. This thing isn't about your own personal devotions and your personal piety. It's about when people gather together in the assembly, then, and they're, and they're meeting in my name, I do what I did in the garden. I do what I did in the tabernacle. I do what I did in the temple. I do what I did in Jesus. I show up in glory and I transform lives. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And every one of the passages that you read, if you're like a Bible student, write these down quickly. We're not going to read them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, good Sunday afternoon reading. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, ask yourself, is this one person or is it plural? And you're going to see, oh, it's plural, it's the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, we're a holy nation, a peculiar people. It's collective, it's plural. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, you are that temple. But then if you read the context, you realize he's saying you all are that temple. You people gathered together in assembly are where God especially manifests his glory. Now you understand, you can go fly fishing and the sun comes up and you see the sun going across, probably especially when you're fly fishing, and, and you see the sun go across the sky and the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Does God manifest himself while you're fly fishing with the sun? Answer, you betcha. Especially if you've got a brain, you know, you've got a sp- your spirit's open. It, some of you ladies say, he manifests himself to me when I'm shopping. I don't know about you. And you're right, it, because God's glory is everywhere. But there is a special place and a special time and a special covenant, which goes throughout time, where God has promised to show up in power and do things you need. You get that? And that is the local church. That's the assembly of the people. So we don't want to treat that casually. That's something we all need, so we want to have... So, 
And 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 15 says the same thing. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 15. But let me read Ephesians 2.19 and then make a couple applications. And Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. There's the same language in all the other passages in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. See what I'm saying? Is it true the Holy Spirit lives in you individually? Yes, it is. But, but all together, when you read the epistles, the thing that the epistles are emphasizing is that you together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That just makes church weightier to me. Let me give you some applications here that... And and the Spirit is much better at application than I am, so he may apply things you need to hear. But let me just suggest pastorally, number one, we should take attendance at church seriously. And by the way, you're here, so obviously you've taken it seriously. We should attend to our attendance. It's like when when I go on vacation, what I do is often I will, uh, I I look forward to going someplace else to assemble with God's people. and, And I find them there, and I learn from them, and I encourage them, and I nod and smile and laugh at the right time so the pastor thinks he's really doing a good job and and um and a lot of times i'll get up and i'll go to an early service one place and i'll go to a regular service another place um not because i'm all wonderful but because i need more church than you probably need and i want to be among where god's people are because god manifests himself through the teaching of the word in glory and that's transformational second corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 and you need transformation i'm not gonna tell by looking at you and i need it too so, number one, we should take our attendance seriously. Attend to your attendance. You know, church attendance is important. So, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Second, we should take our conduct in church very seriously, right? Think about that. Like we're assembling now. Ooh, this is something special going on. I don't mean that means we should be all mean and froggy and everything. And it might be just joyful and celebration, but it certainly will be serious like be careful what you're doing and be careful what you're saying this is the assembly of the saints this is similar to where god manifested himself and walked among them in the garden and it's similar to what happened in the tabernacle when god manifested himself it's similar to what happened in the temple when god manifested himself it's like who take your shoes off your feet get serious this is god it's god manifest don't you don't want a breezy attitude about that right you want to have a very, there's glory present. The word glory is a weight. It's the weight of all that God is displayed in one place. That's glory. And that's what he wants to show the church when the church is the church and the church assembles together. So you want to see his glory because it's the glory that transforms you. And so you don't want to be all kind of casual or breezy or whatever. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to, you, you want to be thoughtful. You want to be thoughtful. Thoughtful as you prepare yourself to come to where God's people assemble. And you want to be, I'm not trying to talk about imposing cultural things on that, you know, oh, this is what you have to do that, or, you know, it used to be pastors always had to wear black. I mean, you know, the whole entire week. But Jesus didn't do that, you know, we wore black. So don't, please don't do that. I'm just saying there's a joyful, sober, gravity, weight, awe, sense of the presence of God gladness glory greatness sometimes great celebration joy praise sometimes great awe carefulness silence fear worship is like falling down before god so that's my second application we should take our conduct in church seriously 
And third application is we should be careful to avoid an agenda that's lighter than that. See what I mean? In, in other words, go back to the passage we were studying in Matthew, and the, and the disciples' agenda was what? Who's in charge after you're gone? That wasn't a horrible question because it was like functional. You know, you're going to be gone, so who's going to be in charge? This is important. It wasn't as horrible as it looked on the surface, but it was bad. <laughs> and he said, no, nah, it's not good. That's like the Gentiles are thinking. Don't think like that. There's a heavier thing going on here. God's people that he treasures are gathered here. Be careful how you treat them. You will answer to me for how you treat them. I will manifest myself among them. I show up in glory among them. This is not a place for light agendas. This is a place for a heavy agenda. And the agenda is God. God is the agenda at church. So set aside whatever else it is that's lighter than that. Your personal ambition or other stuff that's going on in your life that may be just fine, but it's light. It's not heavy. And church, when we assemble, is a place where we consider heavy things wonderful, weighty things, glory to God kinds of things. That's awesome. So uh, I can talk about that a lot, but I've said enough for now. So let's pray. Lord, I want to dismiss your people today uh, for the Lord's day that they would enjoy one another and they would enjoy you and rejoice in you and think about what we've talked about here and we've begun to talk about And Lord, tonight as we assemble back and the Blackwells are with us and we kick off our Vacation Bible School to Mission Awake Week, um, Lord, I I ask your favor on that, your blessing on that. Uh, I pray for those that are in uh, difficulty and distress and uh, problems right now. I pray especially for those that um, are outside of Christ and I pray that they would uh, be drawn to you and that we as Christians would be the ones to go to them and help them find their way to you. It's the least we can do for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.